Nehemiah chapter 3, verses 1 through 32. The title of this message is Let Us Repair. Last week, we looked at every member a minister because everyone was working on the wall together. Remember, there was 38 different names in the text, and we looked at why, why they recorded. Number one, they mattered to God. Number two, they mattered to Nehemiah because they all worked together and there was no gaps in the wall. And it kind of reminds us of the body of Christ, how every single one of us, a part of the church, should be is not only a member, but is a minister, a servant to work in God's family and do what he's put in front of us. Each task and each worker had a specific role and task to play, and each one of us has specific gifts, and there's a niche that the Lord wants to fit us into. And we're going to look at some of these niches, some of these areas of the wall that they repaired. And we're going to look at the sections and how, what order they're recorded in and how they were repaired. If you're taking notes, you might want to jot down the words repair or repairs and repaired is mentioned 40 times in this chapter, more than any other Old Testament book. And it's literally in one chapter. This shows us how big the problem was that they were facing. Can you imagine two miles in length of ruins, rocks, and rubble, broken down walls, exposing them to the elements, to their enemies. Someone said, where there are, there are a lot of repairs that need to be done when God's people rebel and are disobedient. That's true. When we are disobedient and when we rebel against the Lord, there's a lot of repairs that need to take place. And the ruins, the rocks and the rubble that was surrounding the city actually was a reflection of the people's hearts, how they rebelled against God and were disobedient. And God actually had to punish them. That's why he brought the Babylonian nation in to conquer Jerusalem because they were being disobedient to his word. And they had these idols that they were worshiping instead of God. But now he wants to make repairs. He wants to bring them back. The word repairs here means to strengthen, to harden, to make strong, and to grow firm. The people got to work. They started making repairs all around the wall. But each had a designated section of the wall to rebuild and strengthen. As we look through this portion of scripture, I want you to think and ask this question to yourself. What part of my life does God need to rebuild? What parts of our lives do God need to rebuild? How's my time with the Lord? Is that in ruins? Does that need to be rebuilt? Are we getting into God's word frequently? How's our prayer life? Are we only praying at meals for our food? Are we genuinely talking to God throughout the day? How's our relationship with our families? Do some of us can't stand our parents or our siblings? Maybe there's been a rift between some of you and your friends that need repair. Maybe it's our mind, our hearts, our eyes, our morals, our relationship. And every single one of us in this room, there's ruins in our lives that need repair. None of us are perfect. There are parts of our lives that are broken down. 
And God is in the business of repairing and restoring people's lives. Look at this, Jeremiah 30, verse 17. He says, I will restore health to you and heal you of your wounds, says the Lord, because they call you an outcast, saying, this is Zion, no one seeks her. No one cares about Jerusalem. But that's not the truth. The truth is God does care about Jerusalem because he put this care and concern on Nehemiah's heart and turned it into a burden. And not only that, he cares for every single one of you. He cares for you because he's placed a burden on the leaders' hearts to be here, to love on you, to take out their Wednesdays and their Sundays. God cares about us. He wants to restore us and heal us of those wounds that nobody can see. 1 Peter 5, 10 says, And the God of all grace, who called you into his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you, make you strong, firm, and steadfast. That's God's intention. There's parts of our lives that are broken down, but he wants to rebuild those to make them strong, to make them firm, to make them immovable because they're founded on Jesus Christ. See, Jesus came to seek and save the lost. So don't think that the Lord doesn't want you because he came after seeking weak people. He came to have a relationship with sinners and repair what was broken. He came to repair the damage that Adam and we ourselves have caused. But as I've been thinking about the repairs, how many of you guys have had to repair parts of your house before? Maybe you had a flood and your bathroom got flooded or your kitchen needed some remodeling. There's different parts, right? How long do the repairs take? It depends how bad the damage is, correct? If there's mold, my dad's actually have been working on somebody's house lately because it, water came through the roof and down the wall. He had to take out a, a bookshelf and take out the drywall, and even Bobby was helping out with that. And then they had to put that back, but it's been going on for some time. So it depends how bad the damage is. Maybe it depends how long the process is going to be to repair. It also depends if we are going to cooperate in the process. If there's parts of our lives that are broken and need healing, and we kind of have our arms folded like this, and we're like not wanting to help, then it's gonna stay broken for a longer period of time. The quicker we forsake and abandon our ways and our thoughts and return to the Lord, the quicker he will have mercy on our lives and begin repairs. I've discovered this, I knew about this verse, but the Lord revealed it to me again in Isaiah 55, verses 6 and 7. It says, seek the Lord while he may be found and call upon him while he is near. He says, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God and he will abundantly pardon. If you change the word forsake to abandon. We need to abandon our way of thinking. We need to abandon the path that we are on because our path is the wrong path always. 
We need to abandon even our own thoughts about our lives and about the problems that we were talking about on the whiteboard. Because sometimes our perspectives can be off. And it's only when we abandon our way that the Lord will show us his way. It's when we abandon our thoughts, he will show us his thoughts. Notice the last word, he, he will abundantly pardon. You can't have that abundance forgiveness without the abandonment. We have to let our thoughts and our way die. Don't give into it anymore. See, these people were able to work together, get behind the vision the Lord gave Nehemiah, and within 52 days, they finished the wall. That was over two miles long. And the ruins and the rocks and the rubble were extensive. Nehemiah 6, 15 says, so the wall was finished in 52 days. What if I said your problem could be solved in less than two months? Would you believe me? See, I think a lot of our problems aren't solved in a short amount of time is because we're scared to put in the effort. We're scared to surrender to the Lord. We're scared to, like that song we were singing, Lord, lead me where my trust is without borders. Walk on the water because the unknown scares us. Trusting people scares us. And the quicker we abandon our ways, the quicker the restoration can be, begin. And that's actually what the people did. They literally abandoned their life. They abandoned, the farmers abandoned their livestock. Everyone got, the perfumers stopped making perfume. The goldsmiths stopped making gold. And they all started working on the wall together. And as they did that, the problem got solved like that. Nehemiah records in this portion of scripture from the north side of Jerusalem, starting with the sheep gate, moving counterclockwise down the west side and back up around to the top. So I want to look at these gates. There's 10 gates all together, each with a different spiritual lesson behind each and every gate. You got the sheep gate, the fish gate, the old gate, the valley gate, the dung gate, the fountain gate, the water gate, the horse gate, the east gate, and the, however you pronounce that, the Mifhud gate. And it kind of gives us a pattern of where we should start in the process. The first thing that we see recorded being repaired and the first thing that needs repairing in all of our lives is our relationship with Jesus, which reminds us of the sheep gates. And we see that in verse 1 here, that they were repairing the sheep gates, the high priests and the other priests. It reminds us of the sacrifice of Jesus that he gave on the cross. This gate is where they actually brought in the shepherd. The shepherds brought in the sheep. And Jesus is our chief shepherd. Warren Wiersbe said, if this first gate is not repaired, or is not repaired, without sacrifice, there is no salvation. The first thing that we need to settle is who is Jesus to us and to believe in him. When we enter through Jesus, who is the door, according to John chapter 10, verse 9, 
and we believe in his works and his word, we shall be saved. The cool thing about this gate, it's actually different from all the other gates for two reasons. First, there was no bolts or bars in this gate. Warren Wiersbe says the door of salvation is always open to the sinner. This door wasn't going to be shut. It, it allowed people to come in. The gate of salvation is open. The second reason it's different is because this is the only gate that was consecrated. Look at verse 1. It says it was consecrated, and they consecrated it. That word mentioned twice. Now, that word is not part of our vocabulary, so we might be wondering, what does that mean? It literally means to be made holy, to remove from a common use and use for a special purpose. It's sacred. It's set apart. Do you guys have specific dishes at your house that you only use on certain occasions? When we were growing up, my mom and dad had this birthday dish. There was a birthday bowl, a birthday plate, and whoever's birthday it was, they would bring it out and we would eat from that, and it was kind of very special. Then on like Christmas, we have kind of like China plates and different things that we eat on. Not super fancy, it's just things that have been gifted to my parents over the years. But those are used for a specific purpose. This gate was set apart. Nehemiah and the high priest knew that God wanted everything to be set apart exclusively for him, including the walls and the gates. And once we enter through Jesus, the door, we too become consecrated. We become holy. We become set apart. And God wants us exclusively for himself. He doesn't like sharing <laughs> us with anybody else. He is a jealous God. And he loves us. The second gate to be repaired is the fish gate. Now, what do you guys think is the significance behind this gate? You got to use your brains and think about scripture. What is the significance behind this gate? Anybody? Zach? Maybe that's where they like to come and fish. Like maybe that's the way of the sea. So it could be the way of the sea. That you're actually right. They brought the fish in through that gate. Now, how does that apply to us? What's the correlation? This gate has to do with soul winning. It has to do with evangelizing, sharing your faith. If you remember when Jesus called his disciples in Mark chapter 1, verse 17, Jesus said to them, Follow me and I will make you fishers of men. So the next thing after salvation is evangelizing, to share your faith. Share what you know. You don't have to know everything, but what you do know, you're going to be held responsible for. So take that information and share it with other people. This is, I think, a portion of my life that God actually had to rebuild last year. And I think still wants to strengthen more of that. That's why I went to New York to really get out of my comfort zone and to share the gospel with random strangers. Because that's uncom uncomfortable. Would you guys agree? That's a hard thing to do to say, hey, you need Jesus and talk to somebody. And so it has to do with soul winning. There are those who worked around the wall, but there are those also who did not work. Look at verse five with me. 
It says, but their nobles did not put their shoulder to the work of their Lord. The nobles did not work. They refused. That's what the NLT translation says. The leaders refused to work with the construction supervisor. They, some of the possible reasons where they didn't want to work was maybe it was too hard for them and they thought they were above the work because they were maybe leaders. They thought they had a better plan and even Nehemiah was doing it wrong. Oh, he's doing it wrong, so therefore I'm not going to participate. David Guzik says, literally the idea in the Hebrew is that they wouldn't submit. They would not bend their neck to what the Lord wanted them to do. The real issue was submission. Have you guys ever had a stiff neck? You woke up and your neck was like, oh, super stiff. And you're like, oh, that's the idea. You can't bend it. You can't move it this way or this direction. They did not want to submit to the Lord's way. Is that us? Are we unwilling to submit to God, his word, what he desires in our lives? These were the only ones mentioned that did not cooperate in the work. Can you imagine? I wonder if Nehemiah actually was going to record all their names, and all of a sudden God's like, don't record their names. Just mention it. It kind of gave them grace in that aspect. How would you like to be remembered as someone who didn't participate? Someone who didn't put in the effort. Someone that didn't work. I don't want to be that type of person. I want to be known for someone who gave it everything, who gave it my all, who gave it all to Jesus. Leads us to the next gate, the old gate. This speaks of the old path, the old truths of God's word. Uh, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 16 says, Thus says the Lord, stand in the way and see. Ask for the old paths where the good way is. Walk in it, then you will find rest for your soul. But they said, we will not walk in it. Whenever you, how many of you guys have hiked before? Whenever you go on a hike, I've always been told this by my grandpa, by my parents, never go off the trail. And you can tell which trails are new trails and which ones have been worn down, right? By people who have been walking there for years upon years. That's the idea. He's saying, return to that old path. That path is a safe path. That is the good way to walk in. And this is what God told his people. But you know how his people responded? They said, we will not walk in it. We don't want your old way, God. We don't want to follow you down that old path. We want something new. We want something different. And that can be dangerous at times. As when we quote unquote want something new and different. God's path and his ways are way better than ours. People who refuse to go on the old path looking for something new, they refuse to go back to the basic truths that really work. And that's the thing. The basic truths of God's word really do work. Now in verse eight, it says towards the end, one of the perfumers made repairs 
and they fortified the Jerusalem as far as the broad wall. Now, when I read this word, I got excited. You know why? Because I've been there. And check this out. This is a picture of the broad wall when we went to Jerusalem back in 2018. You can see it on the map here too. It's about 20 feet in diameter. And Jerusalem is what they call a tell, where it's a city built on another city, built on another city, and there's bunches of layers. So when you dig down in Jerusalem and Israel, you're bound to find like gold. And you can see the layers of stones that they used. Here, you can see how wide this broad wall was that they were rebuilding. Super cool. And then in verse 10, it says, Next to them, Judeiah, or however you pronounce that, the son of Herpham, made repairs in front of his house. Some people started working on parts of the wall in front of their own houses. This is actually mentioned five times. In front of his house is mentioned in verse 10 and 29. By his house, verse 23. Each in front of his own house, verse 28. And in front of his dwelling, in verse 30. You might be thinking, Josh, why are you pointing this out? That they started in front of their house. Think about it. This would be a convenient work for these people. There was no commute. They didn't have to drive to L.A. every day. They woke up. They're like, Ugh. They wiped out the crusties out of their eyes. They had some breakfast, and they're like, all right, let's get to work. Walked outside, and they built that portion of the wall in front of their house. And if you were building a wall around your house or in front of your house, wouldn't you want to make that the strongest portion? You wouldn't want to be, like, skimpy with the materials and make it kind of, like, not good where someone can knock it over you would want to make that portion of the wall thick. And that's kind of the good thing about starting it. Their homes. They wanted to protect their family with a strong wall. And here's an application point for us. We need to start at our houses. We need to start with our families. We need to rebuild there before we go to other sections. Now, I got to admit to you, I didn't do that. <laughs> when I was in high school, I would actually go over to Dustin's house and mow his lawn and wouldn't mow my own lawn. <laughs> and my parents apparently told Dustin behind my back, I didn't know about this till like years later, like, what the heck? You can get him to work at your house doing all these chores, but you can't do it at our house? And the reality was, that's true. We need to start with our house to rebuild those portions. And maybe if you've lied to your parents, you need to apologize. If you did something that was distrustful, something that hurt them, maybe it was to your little sibling. Me and my little brother, Kenton, got in so many fights. We, he knew how to push my buttons. And I, one time he tried to throw a punch at me and I just blocked it really hard and made him cry. Um, and you know, you get into it as siblings. What in your house and in your life needs to be repaired at home? Because you can't start serving in ministry and doing kids' worship. You can't do greeting for junior high or CG for junior high if there's things left undone at home. Fix those portions because you don't want to neglect those things that God has been showing you. There are those who worked 
There are those who didn't work. And there are those who did extra work. In verses 11, 19, 21, 24, 27, and verse 30, it says, repaired another section six times. These different groups actually repaired another section. They did extra work on top of the work they already had. And I personally don't like that if it's schoolwork. (laughs) I do not want to do extra work for schoolwork if it's math or anything like that. I'll just do the average work. But when it comes to the work of the Lord, these men and women did extra work. Some people are willing and capable of doing extra work. But we got to be careful not to compare ourselves to those people who do extra work. They're different. We are different than them. They have different gifts than us. So don't compare yourself and your work to others. Be focused on what God has put in front of you and do that faithfully. He knows your limits and your capacities. But I want to challenge you with this. I've been often challenged with this word myself. Do what you can and a little more so the Lord can stretch you. Do what you can and a little more so the Lord can stretch you so that you can do more things and you can see God's hand in the midst of it. Returning back to the gates, we see the valley gate in verse 13. This reminds us of humility because valleys are those low points in the Christian life which humble us. None of us look for them. And if it was up to us, a lot of us would avoid them altogether. It's those painful moments. But it's through the valleys that God reveals his blessings. It's in the valleys where God actually shows us more of his character. Like Paul the Apostle, he says, to know the sufferings of Christ. It's through the valleys that we get to experience more of him. If you're taking notes, write down Psalm 23, verse 4 says, Ye, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, your rod and your staff, they comfort me. These valleys are only temporary. So if you are going through something at this moment that feels so overwhelming, so difficult, so hard, underline that word through in Psalm 30 or 23 verse 4 because you're going to get through that valley sooner or later as you continue to seek the Lord he's with you let him comfort you we see the valley gate but also in verse 13 we see the refuse gate or the dung gate now what do you guys think this gate was used for? Anybody? What was the dung gate used for? Zach. Poop. <laughs> Correct. There was no sewage system. They didn't have toilets. So they took the waste and their garbage through this gate and they dumped it out in that area. That kind of sounds gross, right? Imagine if it's like, all right, it's your turn to take out the the dung, go through the dung gate, and you got to take it out. None of us would be like, oh. That was probably one of the chores back then. Aren't you glad we have toilets? Praise the Lord. (laughs) Can you imagine if all of a sudden Nehemiah is kind of mapping everything out, and he goes, hey, 
you're going to be in charge of rebuilding the dung gate. My eyes would like kind of roll in the back of my head like, hey, can anybody else do it? Can I actually have like the sheep gate or a better portion of the wall? I don't want to work on the dung gate. It stinks in that area. <laughs> like that's the idea. But this gate speaks of the cleansing that needs to come in our lives. We all have garbage. The city gets garbage, and they have to take it out. You and I can't go a day in this world without getting filth thrown on us. And we have to, whenever we get that junk thrown off on us, take it out through the dung gate. Get rid of it. Disregard it. Abandon it. Forsake it. Do not entertain it. Do not feed it. Get rid of it. Like 1 Corinthians 7 one says, let us cleanse ourselves from the filthiness of the flesh. Get rid of it. Don't let it stay. There was, I was watching the news. I don't watch it very often. I'll turn it on occasionally. And it showed this one house from a helicopter view. And this house had garbage all around it, piled up. And I'm like, how does somebody get to that point where they don't care about that, how they look in other people's eyes. But I'm like, that is ridiculous. That's disgusting. We have to get rid of the garbage in our hearts, in our minds, and allow God's gaze to look through that. It also says in verse 13 that they built and hung the doors with its bolts and bars and repaired a thousand cubits of the wall as far as the dung gate. Do you know how many, what's a, do you know what a cubit is? A cubit, I believe, is the measurement from your elbow to the middle finger here. It's about 18 inches. It's not 12, it's 18 inches. So when it says a thousand cubits, that is 1,500 feet. That's 500 yards, almost two football fields. They repaired all of that. Can you imagine? That's a lot of work. They got busy and rebuilt that portion of the wall. To me, that's a huge task. Amazing that they did that. Then we see the fountain gate in verse 15. What do you think is the significance behind this gate? What does this gate mean for us in our lives? Anybody? What do you think the fountain gate refers to? Fountain Gate actually refers to and illustrates the ministry of the Holy Spirit. How's your relationship with the Spirit of God? We talk about God the Father, we talk about God the Son, but what about the Holy Spirit? He is just a, also a member of the Trinity, equal in its importance, His importance. John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39 says, On the last day of that great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, says, if anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scriptures have said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the Holy Spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. 
Jesus has already been glorified. The Holy Spirit was given in Acts chapter 2. And you and I have access to the Spirit. He wants to fill your life to overflowing. Not only that, he wants to make your life literally a fountain. Where That word in John chapter 7 where it says rivers of living water, that literally is a torrent of living water. Now, a torrent is at the bottom of a dam that's holding back water. When they open the floodgate, it's about 20 feet in diameter, and water comes gushing out. God wants to use you as a channel to pour out living water to people around you, to bless them, to love them. It's something God wants to do through you. We also see in verse 19 and 20, 24, and 25 that they repaired the buttresses. That's an interesting word. Does anybody know what a buttress is? I actually had to look it up because I had no clue what it was. This is actually a portion of the wall that's coming out from the wall that's supporting it, made of stone or other building materials. So if you can see closely, there's these portions in the wall that come out and they got built and that's what it's referring to. Then we go to the water gate. What do you think the water gate represents? Anybody? It represents the word of God in our lives. Because God's word has a cleansing effect. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26, and Psalm 119, verse 9, God's word cleanses our lives. And maybe that's a portion of our lives that need repairing. Are we in God's word? Is that being repaired? And are we getting nuggets and truth? That's why we encourage you and we make these kind of things for you to get into God's word, which we want you to get into the book of Colossians with us this whole entire month to dive into it so that God can speak to you firsthand. We see in verse 27 that they built the great projecting tower. Also next to that, the wall of Ophel. And then we see in verse 28, the horse gate. They built the horse gate. This gate introduces the idea of warfare in the Christian life. We are in a constant battle. There is distractions. There's things that want to take our attention off of Jesus. And there's a battle going on in our minds. Did you know your mind is the battlefield where every spiritual battle is fought? Your mind is. How's that battle going? Are you forsaking those thoughts? Are we forsaking those thoughts? And filling our mind with this truth, we are in a war. When we become a Christian, we enter into a spiritual battle and we need to be ready to fight because the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty in God for pulling down strongholds and every high thing and thought that exalts itself against God, we can demolish. Are we prepared for battle? This is something I need constant reminding of is that I'm in a fight. The enemy hates your guts. He hates what I do, teaching you God's word. He hates that you guys are here. And he wants us to be equipped to fight this battle. Then we move to the east gate in verse 29. What does this gate even mean? 
What's the significance behind this gate? The interesting thing about this gate, it actually speaks of Jesus' second coming. Because according to Ezekiel 43, verses 1 through 5, it tells us that Jesus will return through this gate. Check out the screen, guys. When we were in Israel, we were on the Mount of Olives, and I took a picture of the Temple Mount. Here you can see a zoomed-out picture of the East Gate and a zoomed-in picture. The East Gate is actually closed up, correct? You guys see that? The East Gate's closed up. Do you know why it's closed up? Because the Muslims actually read and knew about the prophecy in Ezekiel. So they decided to keep God out. They're going to close it up. To further keep God out, they actually, in front of it, there's a bunch of tombs. Because it says the high priest cannot kind of associate or be around dead things. So they said, we're going to put a bunch of tombs in front of this gate to prevent Jesus from coming back through it. Do you think that's going to stop Jesus? It's not. Ezekiel 43, verses 1 through 5. To me, this was super cool. So Jesus is going to come back, and we need to be thinking about the second coming. Jesus can come back tomorrow. This should motivate us to live holy lives. Because I was talking with a friend of mine recently on Monday night. I stayed up till about 11.40 talking with him, which is late for me. I was, like, tired. I was like, oh, my gosh. Um, but... He was asking me, because one of his best friends is not a Christian, and he wants him to be saved so bad. He was asking me advice on how to minister to him. Is that our hearts towards our family and friends that are not Christians? That's the reality. We need to be gospel-driven. We need to be shepherds. We need to actually be those fishermen going out and fishing and putting things out there, making people thirsty for Jesus. And that's actually what I encouraged him. I said, you can't make somebody want Jesus, but you can stir them up. The Bible says we are the salt of the world. Someone says, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't force a horse to drink. And a preacher used that one time. A cowboy came up to the preacher afterwards. He goes, excuse me, you're wrong. You can make him drink. You feed the horse salt. And when you feed the horse salt, their mouth will get dry and they will want water. We are supposed to make people thirsty for Jesus. Because is our life salty? Are we causing people to want Jesus? Because they look at you and be like, man, you have that peace. You have that joy. You have something else. You have like this glow about you. And I want what you have. That's the idea. To stir people up. And the second coming should motivate us. We see the last gate, the Mifad gate. This speaks of God's judgment. The Hebrew word here means appointment, account, or sentence. The idea carries a troop of soldiers coming up for review. God is going to call all souls up for judgment one day and review. You and I as believers, I'm so thankful that we are not going to be judged, but we are going to be examined, our work, to see what kind it is. What did you do with Jesus? What did you do with the good news? How did you use that? 
we're going to be judged for the knowledge and the things that we have heard. That's why I tell all of you, because most of you have grown up in a church, I'm concerned for you. Because you and I who have grown up in the church, we can become numb to the truth. And we can think, I know that. I don't need that. And it loses its effect on our hearts. It's so cool to get somebody who has never heard of Jesus and they light up about God's word and their heart tends to grow and they want it. And it convicts me because it's like, man, do I want Jesus like that new believer wants Jesus? I want that same fire. And then it ends with the sheep gate. It starts with the sheep gate, ends with the sheep gate. It starts with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. That's what our day should be. Every morning we should start with Jesus, whether it's just praying or in the night we should end with Jesus. Every day we need to start it and end it with Jesus. So the question is, what repairs do you and I need to make in our lives? What areas are broken down? Out of all these gates mentioned, how's your personal relationship with Jesus? Are you sharing your faith? Trust me, that's a hard one for me to do. Are we walking in those old paths? Are we going through valleys? Are we getting rid of that garbage in our lives? Are we praying that the Holy Spirit would fill us? Are we getting into God's word and allowing it to rinse our minds? Are we getting ready for battle each and every morning, putting on that spiritual armor that's found in Ephesians 6? Are we looking towards the second coming? What part of your life needs repair? God wants to repair it. He wants to do what Nehemiah said. He says, let us repair. Let us build. So are we going to surrender to him and submit? Or are we going to be like the men in verse 5 who had stiff necks and were recorded for not participating in the work? The more we participate and the more we surrender to God, the more our problems are going to be solved. And that's a promise. That's a guarantee. Sometimes it might take a little time. It could take a couple months. It could even be a week. You don't know. But the Lord wants to repair those portions of our hearts and our minds, of our families. The interior, the exterior, he sees it all. Go to him and say, Lord, what needs to be repaired in my life? And give me the strength, the motivation, the power to do what pleases you. Fill me with the knowledge of your will. Give me that spiritual understanding. Give me that wisdom and strengthen me with that might to do what you've called me to.